Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. So much. The five gifted women nominated for this honor have been chosen by their peers for one great performance in one film, and they are from Camille Cordell, Isabel Ajani. From Shirley Valentine, Pauline Collins. From Music Box, Jessica Lang. And from the fabulous Baker Boys, Michelle Pfeiffer. From Driving Miss Daisy, Jessica Tandy. And the Oscar goes to Jessica Tandy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 1990 Ceremony Year win for Jessica Tandy for Best Actress in a Lead Role. If you've previously listened to this podcast, you know that we've already done the supporting role for Brenda Fricker. Um, today I am joined by Tignataro. Uh, today, <laughs> today I'm joined by Tignataro. Hey girl. No, today I am joined by Greg Houston, who, <laughs> who opened for Tignataro. Uh, you can catch uh, Greg Houston on his Twitch show uh, that will be uh, on hiatus for the summer, but it will be coming back. And if you want to find him on social media, it's at Greg Houston Comedy. Greg Houston, welcome. Hello. Hi. How are you, my friend? <laughs> or I should say Tig. You're apparently Tig Nadar. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, we're doing the same thing that the Army of the Dead did, and we're going to replace me with Tig Nataro in post. Nice. Nice. <laughs> um, how, what was that like working with Tig Nataro? Was she, was she nice? Was she, what was that like? Oh, yeah. It was... Uh, amazing like um it was probably my first real theater uh show and like it was really packed and uh it was really fun and the the booker and producer was like way more stressful and like needlessly stressful than tig was of course and then tig was just like here's the simple stuff and like the show was gangbusters and it was great so oh that's wonderful she seems really nice yeah um, so 1990 is the ceremony year. Uh, best picture went to Driving Miss Daisy. Best director went to Oliver Stone for Born on the Fourth of July. Best actor went to Daniel Day Lewis for My Left Foot. Best supporting actress went to Brenda Fricker for My, for My Left Foot, aka uh, the homeless woman for uh, from uh, Home Alone Two. Oh, oh Kevin. nice. Yeah. Um, Best Supporting Actor went to Denzel Washington for Glory. And this was a very interesting year for Best Actress because every single one of these performances was like really, really different. And uh, we'll obviously get into Jessica Tandy's win kind of near the end. But I thought that this win for her was very interesting because how each and every single one of these performances was so different. And frankly, uh, I think I'm going to find it kind of difficult picking a winner for this one. I, I haven't made my mind up yet. Uh, I I have a clear winner in my mind, so I will convince you throughout the show. All right. No uh, spoilers. Things, <laughs> no, no spoilers. But just to drop some little hints and like things like that, I'll, I'll do. Um, it was a it was a a, a very diverse selection of nominees like these movies were insane to categorize all together like this was a full gambit of possible movies like uh-huh. i don't know what else came out uh from 89 90 that would would have been in consideration but like um if these were the top five cool buddy i don't want to be six through ten or <laughs> right 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 um okay so let's jump right into the first nominee that i want to discuss is pauline collins in shirley valentine oh, now fine. before we get into this i just want to say that she won the best actress at the bafta so a best lead actress at the baftas um for this role and then jessica tandy also won best actress at the baftas but because of the times that these movies came out she won it the year after so 
Pauline Collins and Jessica Tandy both walked away with the best lead actress, but for the Oscar qualifications, they were both kind of in the same year. And obviously Jessica Tandy won. Um, if anybody has never seen the movie, uh, Shirley Valentine, uh, it is based on the Tony winning play that, that Pauline Collins actually won the Tony for best actress. And then she turned it into a movie role. Um, and it's a story of a, housewife that had big dreams and then after years and years and years of being a mother she just kind of realized that she lost who she was um and then she decides that she's gonna go to greece to find herself again to become happy again and to like live her life um and not just be in this verbally maybe physically abusive relationship with the captain from titanic Oh, was um, that the captain from Titanic? That's who it was. Oh. Yes, <laughs> I recognized him immediately. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so first of all, what did you think about um, this movie, Shirley Valentine? Oh, why? I could go. I could. I could do a whole podcast series on Shirley Valentine. I think, mm-hmm. like, it is an insane watch from mm-hmm. start to finish. I thought at the, in the opening credits, it was like a Barbara Streisand album that I was about to right. watch. Like <laughs> it's so eighties and like, so it's so insane. And then literally four minutes in, I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to be a fringe play the entire time. Mm-hmm. And it felt like kind of watching like a fringe performance. Like, and clearly if it was like, I went into this without knowing any background because I wanted to like, just let the movie and the, and the acting stand for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know it came from a play that that so makes sense now. Well, that's interesting that you say that it was like a fringe performance because originally um, Shirley Valentine was actually written as a one woman play. Yeah. 100%. So that makes a lot of sense. And one thing that I really enjoyed about Pauline Collins in this movie that um, inspires me to like write something to act out in a specific type of character in a comedic way is the way that she always broke the fourth wall. Like she would look at the camera and it would just be like our little secret of like what she was thinking or what she was feeling. And she always did it in sort of this, like, Oh my God, I fucking hate this person or Oh my God, why is no one listening to me? And then she goes back into a way that she thinks that she has to be because of years of practice of like kind of learning to not really be who she is. And I feel like for um, this time in history in the eighties, you know, Roseanne, and Barr became very famous as the domestic goddess and really just sort of um, having an attitude about being a housewife and being more than a housewife. So I think that this type of story was probably very culturally relevant and oh, yeah. probably very, very well received. Um, I'm sure this movie caused uh, the divorces of millions yeah. of people <laughs> around the world in 89. Like this was, it, it was this movie, okay, without giving it away, it was how Shirley Valentine got her groove back before that's Stella right. got her groove back. Like, <laughs> that's, right. that's what this movie was. And I love that. With like this weird fourth wall caveat that wasn't consistent the whole time. Because I don't know if you noticed, but sometimes like her husband would walk in and be like, who are you talking to? Yeah. And so it was like, why is there sometimes people can hear it, but the other times it's like, no, this is just between us. It was like the Stewie from Family Guy. Like some people can hear him and then some people can't. Yeah. Um, it is. It's I. what I think, though, that I like a lot about the movie was that if you think about it, it is kind of a dark movie, but it is uh, it's it's kind of presented in a very light way because she does have an affair and there is technically like abuse and there is her um, uh, trying to run away from her family. But you don't really think of it in like a negative way. Like you think of it in like a humorous light way. It's it's a very, yeah, it's a very light lens on a lot of serious issues. And like, obviously a lot of like unhappy marriage of definitely abusive husband and like, but it's also back backdropped with like these hilarious like hilarious quote quote unquote hilarious uh like uh, british tourists in greece that are like just being british annoying people in in greece and like <laughs> you feel like mama mia is gonna break out at any moment like right <laughs> it's it, and like it's the, true yeah that's the, very true <laughs> and like the whole like you uh like the 
the Costas guy, like the Greek affair man, is mm-hmm. so funny and how he uses his like same pickup lines on women every everywhere he goes. And he re- kind of reminded me of my uncle if he if my uncle had more hair. Oh, and okay. I was like, this is so funny to me. That's like he reminds you of your uncle because he's also banging. No, just look, just like, looks wise. Married just, women on boats. <laughs> uh, just like literally, just looks wise. He looked like my uncle. I'm like, oh, it kind of looks like my uncle Bob. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, the thing that I actually liked though was whenever, um, you know, Shirley Valentine finds out that he is, you know, y- using his pickup lines on all of these women. I love that she didn't care because that wasn't the point the point was that she as you said needed to get her groove back she needed to find herself again she needed to learn how to be herself because when they show the flashback whenever she's this young person she's has an attitude she's kind of like the bart simpson of like uh like the class you know she's just kind of not necessarily like a class clown but she has an attitude she's a bit of a rebel and a little bit of a bully as well. And I love whenever um, Joanna Lumley from AbFab comes in, um, she was Marjorie, and she comes in and she runs into her and she's all rich and she goes like, oh, yeah. you know, you're this high class like stewardess. And she's like, oh no, I'm a top class prostitute. What are you talking <laughs> about? And I just love those like little jabs and I love those like little funny things where it's like you see those things but that's not what the movie is about and then she doesn't make a big deal out of it and she kind of just moves on from it and yeah, I think or, that she was very three-dimensional is what I'm saying. There were so many levels to her. Yes. No, this Shirley Valentine as a character was so fleshed out. And like she had a son that was a squatter. Like literally he's like, yeah, I live in this squat. And then like a, a yeah. no, the most annoying daughter in the history of time. I know. And like, <laughs> but also the whole thing is cruxed on like the she's like, I'm unhappy and blah, blah, blah. And I better cook steak for dinner tonight. Otherwise... I'm going to get yelled at, but, uh, oh, I've wasted my life and I used to have such a good, she's 42. Yeah. The whole thing. She's only 42. And Mm. it's like, this is insane that she, like her kids, one are so old, but two to have like a midlife (laughs) crisis, like that early in your midlife, like she's, she's so young. Like, I know it's. Well, back in the day, that that's what it was, right? Like our parents literally got married when they were some of them were teenagers. My parents got married when they were like 22, 23. Yeah. Uh, that to me is absolutely outrageous. Like I, I can't even and it's worse if you're because my mom's from a small town. And when you're from a small town, you get married young in Canada. Yeah. Like that's very, very common, like even still today. And like, it's it's sometimes upsetting like you'll go on facebook and they'll be like just celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary and you're like aren't you 40 like what do you mean this makes no sense but it's a thing and i think that during this time that was probably very common oh yeah i think so but it was just so funny where everything around her was like uh, crust in like the i'm so old and i'm so over the hill and i don't know if i'm ever gonna be happy and it's like dude you're 42 like Mm-hmm. You could go back to, you could, you could do it, have a whole nother family. You could like, I think you exactly. probably live to 80. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just touching, going back though, on whenever you were talking about like the British tourists uh, that oh, were yeah. all like from Manchester and they were so resistant to experiencing different types of food. You know, I don't even know if that's a British thing. I think that's just like an old white person thing. Cause that is so my dad, my dad is yeah. so against like, anything that's too spicy or anything that's too like salty or anything that's too like he's very much like I like my meat and potatoes kind of person and so I and I I was like oh at that because I like experiencing different cultures but it's almost like why are you in Greece then if you're just gonna be so resistant to the entire culture I don't understand that but yeah um, just go to Dover instead you you British idiot Um, yeah (laughs) But like, it had nice moments, like whenever she does uh, sleep with that gr- that uh, Greek guy on the boat, and then suddenly you hear this big, loud orchestra, and she looks at the camera, and she's like, where did that orchestra come from? I like those kind of moments. I love oh, breaking yeah. the fourth wall. I, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, plus she shows her tits. It's great. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's, uh, but but no, to go on the the some of the scenes of like, those British tourists, it's like, I felt like this is what Americans are like abroad a lot of the times, or like it felt like writing to, it It was universal writing. And the fact that you mentioned your dad, like, yeah, my dad is very similar to that. Like, uh-huh. I think um, 
if my dad was on vacation, he'd be more like going along to get along and would try new things. But like, it's an insane, um, I think kind of British and a miracle imperialism of like going mm-hmm. to a foreign nation and being like, well, why can't you make fish and chips or something like that? Like, right. Oh, a hundred percent. No, absolutely. Um, if anybody is in Great Britain listening to this, we love you. Um, I, love I you uh, a lot. Your we food love you is so exotic. <laughs> oh, I don't like an English breakfast though. I get too heavy for me. Um, so I feel like I just lost like half my English <laughs> listeners. Okay. Uh, f- fun fact about this movie, according to author Adam uh, Helliker, this is the favorite film of the Queen. Um, <laughs> yep. According, I don't know if that's true, but that's something I read. Uh, Cher was the studio's top choice for the role of Shirley Valentine. That would have been a very different movie. Oh, good God. Very different movie, although frankly, uh, I am curious. And um, the, one of my favorite lines that she said in the movie that just kind of made me fall in love with her the most was um, she stayed for herself. She stayed in Greece for herself, not for the man. And she said, um, on, it's the only holiday romance I've had is with myself. And now I like myself. So even though there was an affair, the movie wasn't about that. And her character's like journey that had nothing to do with it. It was just about her finally finding herself again, being herself. I thought this movie was really brilliantly written. I love the way that it was acted. I love breaking the fourth wall. And I would definitely, if anybody listening has not seen the movie, Shirley Valentine, I would very much recommend seeing it. Oh yeah. I, I, I can only second that. Like it was, a very unique I I would say it's honestly the most unique out of all of these films Agreed. that we're we're kind of looking against. And it, it was acted beautifully and written very well. It's very of its time, but like I think it's it's a universal story. Like obviously like they keep remaking this with other different how someone how insert name get gets their groove back um in insert movie. Like Mm-hmm. But yeah, it also felt like the Greek travel board like spent a lot of money to make sure this movie came across beautiful for Greece. <laughs> right, <laughs> like... Probably. Probably. Um, okay, so unless you have anything else that you would like to add, can we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Okay, let us talk about Jessica Lang in the movie Music Box. Now, I have never seen this movie before, and it is absolutely incredible. If you've ever seen the Netflix documentary called uh, The Devil Next Door, it's actually loosely based on the real-life case of John Demjanjuk, and I'm apologizing, I'm definitely butchering that pronunciation, but it was the story of a man who was identified much later in life as... Um, this horrible Nazi during the Second World War who was essentially torturing people and murdering them and just doing unspeakable things. And then um, this man who is being accused is denying it. Uh, By the way, I'm talking about the movie, but this is very similar to the documentary The Devil Next Door. But anyway, uh, Jessica Lange is the daughter of this accused man and she is a lawyer and she has to defend him and the whole story is about is it him or is it not him and um i'm sorry like i know that y'all are probably really wanting to watch this movie and find out but honey you've had 31 years to watch this movie spoiler alert (laughs) ah it was him um and uh in the devil next door documentary um that one is I won't spoil it for you, but I will just say that it's not the same ending. But it, uh, uh, this movie is based on um, the story and the case of John Demjanjuk. Uh, also, um, the screenwriter Joe Estehas. Again, I'm so sorry. I'm pronouncing that so wrong. His own father was accused of war crimes in Hungary for printing anti-Semitic um, editorials. And he was uh, organizing book burnings um, and uh, the screenwriter Joe actually publicly disowned his father and never saw or spoke to him again in his lifetime after he publicly disowned him. So there's a lot of personal stakes in this screenplay and um, it's based in real life. So it's a very heavy, heavy, heavy film. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What did you think about this movie? Um, Yeah, I would say out of all these films, this was the clearly most intense uh, Mm -hmm. film. Like this is the only one that I actually had to like stop and like take a break from watching because it was like, Mm -hmm. it was was getting to me and like just how intense everything was. Um, It was so funny though. I had just uh, rewatched Eastern Provinces 
recently. I've never seen that. Oh, it's a great film. But uh, Armin Mule Stahl, the the grandfather, the Nazi grandfather, um, mm-hmm. plays like similar character in it, kind of in Eastern Promises. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's a great film too. It's uh, I think it's Cronenberg um, that did that one. But it, it, the opening was like almost the exact same. And then within wow. the first five minutes, it's like, okay, it's going to be about war crimes. And you're like, whoa, okay. Uh, I better, <laughs> better buckle up. That's right. And uh, I got to say, this movie is very difficult to find. I couldn't find it on um, Apple, like iTunes. I tried to rent it. I, uh, I obviously I found it, but I'm saying like it was a very difficult um, film to find. And every version that I found online, the timing was off. And I'm like, oh my God, just <laughs> I will rent this movie i don't care how much it costs why can i not find this movie and it shouldn't be hard to find it's a really really great movie jessica lang is incredible in this movie i think that this to me was probably the most entertaining movie i love court dramas um so let's talk about jessica lang specifically though in this in 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 this film and i think they did a good thing of kind of like they didn't develop they didn't jump in with like her backstory or anything right away they kind of just let her be a character mm-hmm. and then let it unfold cuz like throughout the movie you see that she's uh has a failed marriage but has a son that she loves and her her ex-husband are like they're pretty close about still and like she's apparently like a very good lawyer and then you see her being like a great lawyer live and everything mm-hmm. and you see like the f- family dynamics um I forget who played her brother, like the guy that also plays uh, the Marvel uh, character, like the guy in the Vietnam jacket. He's he's a, he was a hilarious casting. Mm. He was good. Um, I, yeah. yeah, there was definitely a lot of um, the thing about this performance is that it's kind of a slow build. Yeah, sort of. Jessica Tandy was kind of a slow build as well, like a very slow build. But Jessica Lange in this movie Because at first she's like, no, 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 there's no way. And then she starts to have doubts. And then she starts to realize, you know, that um, her father uh, is paying off this guy named Irma Kish. Uh, And then she's starting to think, well, why is he paying off this guy? And then it's a it's a slow build up to the climax at the end when she finds the music box, she finds the photos and she fully confronts him and she essentially has like a breakdown. So the whole movie is really just leading up to that moment. And I think that Jessica Lange, I'm I am not as familiar with Jessica Lange's old work because I'm more familiar with like American Horror Story feud. Um. Uh, uh, oh god what else is she in she's in uh, she was in some movie recently where she was (laughs) dating this like really young guy on vacation but but regardless I'm not as for I've seen Tootsie and that's it so watching her in this was so interesting and fun and she's so talented and um, frankly I'm kind of sad that you don't really see her in like major motion pictures anymore because I mean clearly she's got the talent she's yeah I think she she I yeah she was such a good lead role in this and i think this movie like this and shirley valentine were both like the lead character is the actress and like that was Mm -hmm. it was told i don't know it was told very well and it's it's hard to describe it without like giving everything away but like it's just it's intense and like you see her personal journey the whole time but like she's emotive she like I don't know. For me, she was just hitting all the right chords of like how like uh, a lead actress uh, or actor should be in a movie. And like she was just continuously knocking out of the park, like how she kind of when they're in Hungary, she ditches like the uh, the The driver. Yeah, the driver and like the the person from the tourist board that's clearly government agent or whatever and like goes and finds this old woman in in her apartment and then gets this clue and then this clue is revealed and then she sees the pictures and and then and like that's where you're like oh my god this is turning into like he's Mm -hmm. gonna be the nazi and then like she gets the music box and like a music box has got to be the most friggin weirdest way to find out your dad was a hungarian <laughs> a weird <Nazi>. device like, yeah <laughs> oh this beautiful music box i crank it and then all of a sudden pictures start popping out it's like okay <laughs> maybe if if you're gonna be a hungarian nazi that committed a holocaust maybe don't save the photos yeah exactly. like what well, was blackmail he was blackmailing him right oh, okay. um but well, because when you're saying that's I'm glad that you brought that up, because whenever she does go see that guy's brother with a scar on his face in yeah. Hungary, the version that I was watching 
didn't have subtitles. So yes. I was like, well, I don't know what they're saying, but it seems very important. And I was like, <laughs> but their acting is incredible, whatever it is. I mean, obviously you could piece it together after, but um, when she did get the photo, when she does find the photos in the music box in the car, um, that particular scene, it that's like the, oh my God, because there's so many twists and turns in the movie and I love a good thriller. I love a good yeah. court drama. And then when you kind of realize, because it's basically at the end of the movie, because you actually do think that he's innocent because essentially it well, is proven that he is. Yeah, especially because like the big uh, Hungarian uh like character witness that they find right. and they all have to travel to Hungary to actually depose. And like, it's found out that he's been giving false statements or he's been giving very similar statements, like to three other people about uh, two other people in the mm -hmm. past. And the Hungarian government knows about it, but they're just like, we're not going to say anything. And we're going to let uh, this Michael Lazlo uh, twist in the wind kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that one thing that she kind of did in this movie and um, it's very, I don't know if you've seen uh, dead man walking with um, uh, Sean Penn and Susan Sarandon. Yeah. Well, Susan Sarandon won her Oscar for that movie and her performance, Susan Sarandon's performance in that movie really shone because it wasn't so much what she was doing. It's how she was reacting. And that yeah. she said uh, after when she won the Oscar that a lot of that performance was listening. And I think that Jessica Lange, that's a very similar sort of tone in this film, because when she's in the courtroom and she's listening to um, that man talk about how that family was wired yeah. together and then pushed off a cliff. You know, having to listen to something like that and having to act that out, whether or not like that's real or fake, it's like you have to bring reality to the moment. And she did. And I think that Jessica Lange just kind of nailed every single scene that she was in. I anybody listening to this, if you have not seen Music Box or if you can't find it, message me. I'll send you a link. <laughs> it's a great, great film. Um, yeah. The only thing that I will say, though, uh, just as like a little fun uh, fun little fact this movie was actually originally wrote with Jane Fonda in mind um, mm. when uh, Jessica Lange was cast Jane Fonda was actually paid uh, 1.25 million dollars in compensation for losing the part I'm assuming Whoa. she must have had some contract but you know I'm sure like Jane Fonda will be fine but I'm just saying <laughs> like just uh, just a fun little fact about that um, yeah okay well is there anything else that you would like to add to this performance um no but i don't like the casting of jane fonda so i'm glad that she took the payoff and yeah, i don't know how i would feel about that i feel like she would somehow make it a little funny and like the there's like absolutely no laughs in this movie and i don't think there should be um uh and yeah and i thought jessica lang was just perfect for it oh i do want to mention though that i also hated the non-nazi uh, grandpa too like both grandpas were assholes. All the oh, yeah. all the grandpas were so bad. The one was like a rich white dude asshole, and the other was a former Nazi. Uh, so down with grandpas. Yeah, he was like a Holocaust denier, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. Yeah. God, how many shitty people could you and have just in one so family? So rich, so rich that like he buys the grandson a pony, and one point he's like, "That's the ultimate rich person move when you're buying right. a child a pony <laughs> to buy their love." Like, how transparent do you need to be? Like, I agree. No. Okay. Well, um, other than that, it's a great movie. Check it out. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's talk about Michelle Puffeifer in The Fabulous Baker Boys. <laughs> oh, by the way, are you vaccinated? Do you have Pfizer? I have, or do you have Moderna? I have one Pfizer. Yeah. You have the one Pfizer. I have. I already have my second one booked because I got mine before April 18th. Oh, nice. Uh, anyway, totally off topic. So let's talk about Michelle Pfeiffer in The Fabulous Baker Boys. So, um, Mich okay, so The Fabulous Baker Boys, the Baker Boys are Bo and Jeff Bridges, brothers in real life, and brothers in the movie, they are piano lounge singers, they're very good, obviously Jeff Bridges in the movie is the more talented, uh, precocious <laughs> brother, and he's just holding himself back to um, help Bo with his life and his career. And then they realize that they're kind of doing shitty because all they're doing is playing really, really crappy gigs, which, by the way, on Canadian comedy standards, those are great gigs. And, <laughs> and uh, then they realize, hey, let's bring in a singer. And it's Michelle Pfeiffer. And the whole story is really just sort of about how they all kind of have an actualization of where they don't want to be in their lives. And the story is about them kind of growing and then like moving on with their lives. 
Oh, and Michelle Pfeiffer is the singer, by the way. Susie Diamond. Susie Diamond. So uh, Susie, she sounds a little porn star, but yes, (laughs) Uh, she sang all of her own songs for the movie. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer is kind of like the perfect person to pick for this because Michelle Pfeiffer is kind of that like she has that kind of like even before Catwoman, she always had that sort of sexy, but like cool and like dangerous and like she's this presence yeah she will you know she's uh i mean when she showed up i wrote down as my notes like is that michelle pfeiffer or a gen z tiktoker because yeah, like, right. <laughs> like she has this weird like disheveled slash unorganized aspect and look about her a lot of times but then it's like when you get down to it she's like oh she can really bring it when when needed kind of thing mm-hmm I think that, um, okay, well, I guess, okay, so let's talk about when she's, like, auditioning. So she kind of comes in, she has a really bad attitude problem. She's, um, she works as an escort, that's kind of part of her story, but, like, not really part of the story. Um, I do think it's kind of, like, really lazy, though, like, in terms of casting and writing, whenever they have, like, all of the women auditioning, and they're so bad. Like, all of them are, that that montage was so annoying to like i know (laughs) also but jennifer tilly hello yeah i was like hey girl uh i saw that but whenever michelle pfeiffer comes in obviously she's amazing and she knocks it out of the park and she's like the cool edgy singer who happens to also be like a uh, an escort so she kind of has a bit of a dark past and it, it makes her kind of more interesting and stuff like that but like she is kind of the scrappy character that is also gorgeous and super talented so she seems very very interesting i wouldn't necessarily call her performance as maybe three-dimensional as like shirley valentine was because she kind of had like a bit of an attitude she of course had growth but i would kind of say that she had her character had a set of rules that she really stuck to and she always kind of just like played by her own rules and she also kind of just ultimately but well, I also think that wait, that kind of she, was her character. Her character had her own rules until she decided to break her own rules too. Because like, she was like, you never, never sleep with a coworker. And then, right. and then they sleep together, like at the, pretty much their first opportunity that they're given alone. Like, <laughs> oh, what, which by the way, that was her first road gig was in a castle. Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, they, they, okay. This movie was it like to step back from the actress uh, aspect for one point this movie was so like re- reminiscent of like the comedy scene and like yes. comedy <laughs> to me that i was like getting ptsd from it absolutely <laughs> like it's like all oh, these bad gigs these bad bookers like oh a manager saying incredibly racist shit to me oh cool yes. Like, yes. <laughs> there's so much that i was like oh this is making me uncomfortable um, I agree. I had a hard time watching. I totally, I like, I know that you're joking, but you're also not joking. Cause yeah. like, it's, I, I know, I know it, it, when you work in a gig economy yeah. and you're watching something like this, yes, it's absolutely triggering. Well, and then the other, then and the main thing with like the movie overall is like, I'm so, 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 so over the self-destructive tormented genius archetype that mm-hmm. like Jeff Bridges fit. Like, I don't care. I agreed. It turns out, you know what? Just be a nice person. You don't like, don't be a tormented, self-destructive asshole. Like, just be nice, and it's it'll be so much better for everyone involved. And like, I agree. I find that so many people often celebrate that in their own life, where they just always like, I don't deserve this, and no, like, I just want to be this tortured, misunderstood artist. And it's like, okay, it's like that's your choice. Okay, like, I just don't have sympathy for those people because life is what you choose for it to be and if you want to be i mean obviously it's circumstantial but i know what you're saying and i agree with you that we shouldn't be glorifying yeah. and putting those types of characters on a pedestal yeah um and but, then, but yeah sorry no i was just gonna say that you know michelle pfeiffer she kind of did bring a nice sort of harsh reality to a character and it did make her more interesting yeah. um why was she always so resistant though to like Bo Bridges set list that kind of got a little annoying to me all of it was like a weird dynamics and like at one point I was like oh is Bo horny for her too like there was like this this weird dynamic then and it was also kind of like I think it was supposed to play up like not a love triangle but like a career love triangle right like they 
they all have this career slash gigs that they do that like they love for different aspects and like i love that on her first one she got tips i think or something yes uh, and he's like we don't take tips and it's just like uh, I don't, it's so yeah she she was the most likable out of both of these fabulous baker boys um, <laughs> as these characters were not written to be liked i don't think i don't know it was a weird movie well, for me, it was actually Bo was my Bo Bridges was my favorite. I didn't care for Jeff and I didn't care for Michelle, but I, I, because to me, I think I saw more of myself in Bo because I thought that Bo's character was more responsible and more like we have to do this and structure yeah. and very OCD. And I, I kind of saw him because Michelle uh, in this movie, um, she, uh, really does have an attitude problem that sometimes you're kind of like, but girl, like he's the reason you're employed. Oh yeah, it, and she I was, was a, a agent of chaos. Yes, and I sometimes I kind of thought that got like a little bit annoying, but I think that some of her Oscar moments that were amazing was whenever, um, oh god, whenever he decides, whenever she goes to the jazz bar and she sees jeff bridges and then he's leaving and then she just tells him she's like i can't do this anymore i'm leaving the band and blah 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 and then she calls him a coward and you know they're really just sort of having it out because i think that maybe she invested more into their relationship that actually was because like you're saying jeff bridges is just sort of this martyr yeah and it just kind of got annoying and i think that for michelle pfeiffer's character in that moment that was kind of her breaking point i also really liked whenever she goes to his apartment and then he basically says that we have no problem replacing you um and then uh He's just like, you know, because she's like, I'm going to go and sing for a cat food jingle. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Bo Bridges is like, just take it. You know, there's always another girl that we can replace you with. And that was kind of there at that point that they're they're done. And what I like about the ending of the movie is it's not this big reunion. They don't all get back together. It's literally like they kind of helped each other out and built each other up. And then at the end, they all just kind of went on their own ways. And I like that you don't really know if Jeff and Michelle get back together in the end. It's implied, but you know, you don't know where it's going to go. Yeah, I I do think that like this, the one thing this movie did have was growth. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it, it kind of really came from like, uh, oh, like, the reality of the situation is like the fabulous Baker boys, uh, they suck and they're playing these horrible Hawaiian tiki bars and, right. and like, <laughs> they can't, they can't catch a break. And then they introduce this like third person and it like revolutionizes everything. And like, they're quote unquote, like now booked forever and like doing four gigs and doing new year's Eve and all this junk. But like at the end of it, like they have grown as people, which is nice in theory, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But it, yeah, like I would say that M Michelle Pfeiffer kind of saved a lot of her actual acting for like the last 15 minutes kind of thing. Right. And like, that's fine. Cause like, I understand like that's where the meat of everything comes from. And mm -hmm. like even Jessica Tandy kind of did that throughout like the uh, only uh, Pauline uh, Collins or whatever was like someone that was like, the same level, same level of acting throughout the entire movie uh, in Shirley Valentine. But like, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer kind of like saved a lot of the good parts for the end. And mm -hmm. at the beginning was kind of like, she didn't, she wasn't in the movie enough for me at the beginning to like, for me to be like, Oh, best actress, like nominee and winner kind of like, it's, it's hard to consider her as a lead almost in the movie. Like she seemed really more like a sporting character. Yeah, I get that. I mean, compared to a lot of the movies that I've watched in the 70s, and if anybody listening to this uh, is has listened to some of my episodes from the 70s, they would know that yeah. I am always calling out category fraud. I mean, there were like every single like if you like Talia Shire in um, in Rocky, Rocky, for example, yeah. was like in the movie for like maybe 10 minutes, but she was a lead role. And you're like, no, ma'am. But um, supporting <laughs> yeah. talking about Michelle Pfeiffer, though, in this movie, I mean, give her an award just for her presence. Every scene that she's in, I just can't take my eyes off yeah. of her. And that's something that you can't teach, which is pretty cool. But I think that um, some little some little facts about this movie that are interesting. So the role was originally offered to Madonna and she turned it down. Thank God. <laughs> I don't think Madonna can do that type of acting. Uh, Dennis Quaid and Randy Quaid were the... Uh, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Were the original people that were asked to play the Baker Boys, and they said no. I know that's exactly that's exactly how I reacted. 
Um, Jeff Bridges said in 2003 that he actually wanted to make a sequel about this movie, about, you know, what sort of happened to the brothers after they split. Um, and a thing about this movie that I, that gave me so much anxiety. Do you remember when Jeff and Bo Bridges were like physically fighting against the fence and then he like threatens to break his, his finger? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That insane ramping up scene that made no sense in comparison. (laughs) Because they did that crappy telethon thing uh, (laughs) at like 3 AM, which again, in Canadian comedy, you're like, sure. What time? (laughs) I'll be there. (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, But, uh, apparently he actually did break his finger in real life Ooh, zoinks. which that's oh my god that scene gave me so much anxiety i mean um they're brothers that's fine i'm fine with that because they're brothers in real life <laughs> uh okay well unless there's anything else that oh, you would like the, to yeah the one character thing and it's not about actress but like bow bridges uh as you saw in that like last scene where like him and his brother are in bow's like workshop um and i don't know if you notice it but like he takes a shot glass from every gig he's ever played yeah that is next level psychopath like that is like <laughs> i don't like i watched as a comedian was like oh that would be insane if i like took something from every single gig i ever did like that's so unhealthy for so many reasons i always take a pen from every hotel that i ever stay at ever since i was a kid i have well, a million pens yeah that's just that's just uh getting new pens that's just normal <laughs> i've never paid for a pen in my life i'm serious i've always just taken them from hotels it's like my thing um okay so let's talk about um camille claudel in Isa- no it's isabelle ajani in camille claudel sorry I, yeah. I mixed that up because this is a french language film i apologize to any french listeners so the actress is isabelle ajani and the movie is camille claudel um and if you're english camille claudel <laughs> so um Okay, so this was Isabel Adjani's second Academy Award nomination. The first was for the story of Adele H. in 1975. Um, I've never, I'm not familiar with this actress. She's gorgeous. So this is actually a real life story about the famous sculptor named um, Camille Claudel, who was um, allegedly insane, but basically got. Hmm. Gaslit by uh, a competing uh, uh, sculptor that she fell in love with. And then he basically just like ruined her and discredited her. And then she did have like a bit of a mental breakdown. But then I guess that like they wrote it off completely. And then she spent the rest of her life in a insane asylum. And um, uh, in 1929, friend and sculptor Jesse lip uh jesse lipscomb i'm pronouncing that wrong i apologize visited her and insisted that uh it was not true that she was insane um rodin this was the competing uh sculptor rodin's friend martha i'm not even i'm martha Mathia marhadat i'm pronouncing that wrong insisted that um that uh Uh, Paul was a simpleton who shut away his sister of genius. Paul was um, Camille's brother. I'm throwing so many names out here, but basically long. Yes. Basically long story short. People in real life did not believe that she was actually insane. She was actually a artistic genius. And because she was a woman, they were like, you're crazy. And they locked her away and she died. Yeah. Um, the original cat lady defense. <laughs> it's 100%. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. So this movie, it, this is uh, it, it was a French film. It's three hours long. Oof, and yeah. I, I, I loved this movie. I loved <laughs> Isabel. I actually did. I loved Isabel in this movie. I thought that um, it was, again like a a build-up because i really didn't know where where it was going i loved that in the end i found out that it was actually based on a true story um and if i'm being honest with you sometimes uh i have a hard time watching like three hour foreign language films and i did not have a hard time watching this i loved this movie 
Okay, I'll be honest with you. I had a hard time watching this only in the sense that I could not find a subtitled version. So ah. I, I practiced my French. I could have should have sent you the version. <laughs> I had already watched it when you you and you sent me the the link kind of thing. But like I watched it enough and like no, like I believe I picked up words. You know, I I got it. I got what was going on. Um, and it just made me watch more intently the actual acting. Uh, because I couldn't overly understand all the words, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it w- it was a very interesting. I I within the first minute though, I was like, oh man, I hope this movie is about mud. And then it turned out to be about <laughs> mud. It really turned out to be about like the opening scene is her like getting clay, and I'm just like, man, I hope this th- fucking thing's about mud. Yeah, because <laughs> I didn't know what what to expect, and I yeah. uh, used to be a professional visual artist. Is what I went to school for. I never did sculpture, but I always find this kind of stuff very very interesting. I enjoy that she was kind of the underdog i love that you know obviously i love watching a story about like you know a woman doing something that you know she quote unquote shouldn't be doing during a time when people were still incredibly sexist and um they were like you should just be a wife and a mother and she's like this genius artist and even um rodin the uh rodin, the, yeah it took me 50 minutes to realize it was about rodin and like yeah. <laughs> i've seen I've, I've seen his statues live in person like i was like right. oh these seem familiar i wonder and then i like had to literally look it up i'm like oh yeah no it's about rodin okay cool 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 oh that's cool that's a really interesting so then okay well then if you've seen it that makes it really interesting um i think that uh you see her full transformation as her character because she is just fighting to work. She's fighting to practice her art. She is fighting to um, be uh, mentored by Rodin. Even and just then... to be like considered too. Like, be, like She's working on that tenacious. crew, right? Like when yes. they're working on the church or cathedral or whatever the hell they're working on. And like all the other, like there's her and one other woman and then everyone else is a man. And like literally she's like going to get harassed obviously and like she does get her like yeah I mean, she just like Michelle Pfeiffer had insane presence in this movie. I love that somebody, some guy at some point had to call her a witch at some point because, (laughs) of course, right? She's talented, so she's a witch. Um, Her father in this movie was extremely feminist, fighting for his daughter. I I liked him until like near the end and then I didn't like him anymore. Well, uh, in the end, I think that he realized that she wasted her talent. So I think that from a father's perspective, because he is a Claudel, he was literally like, you are a Claudel and you are, you let this Rodin man ruin you and completely drive you nuts. I mean, obviously the mom was way more like less supportive and like insane. Like the mom was was annoying. (laughs) But the very first scene too, with her brother, I was like, Oh man, is she going to try and fuck her brother? Like, Oh no. (laughs) Like there was such a weird chemistry between those two actors. I was like, I don't get this. And it wasn't really until like the final, uh, final scene where he's like committing her to the to the whatever gendarmes to like get her into the insane asylum that it like mm-hmm. it comes out like I don't know. I think that she played the black sheep of the family very well. I think in my family, I am the black sheep of my family, and I um, not that that's a bad thing, but it just it is what it is. Yeah. And so watching her, watch an artist, watch sort of somebody that like people don't believe in you, and you're like, well, no, like I am good at this, and I work really hard, and then you have to constantly prove yourself, and it's in like a very like male dominant. Like I I get it, and so obviously not in that particular same time frame, but I can relate to some of her journey, and um, I really 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 um the only thing that i didn't like about this movie was the music it always sounded like they were up to no good like a thriller like a hitchcockian type of movie yeah it was there was a lot of ominous chords and stuff for not yeah they didn't really always match the scenes i would say um i would say like this is um the most normal haircut i've ever seen gerard (laughs) Depardieu have in a film like he actually like looked fine but then I also looked up an actual photo of Rodin and like he Rodin looked like what you imagine Leonardo da Vinci looked like. like right. The like, long hair with the balding patch. On yeah. Top. Like a crazy floppy hat on top and a super insane beard. And like, yeah, it, I love the classic to jump to the ending, how it's just like 
the classic bi- biographical ending of a movie where like the photo goes up of the real person and then the, the characters are talking over it and like you see what's happening in real like it's such a fun trope I think that some of my favorite moments from um, Isabella Johnny in this movie was um, when she brings in Rodin to see her solo work that she was working on. And he refuses to be quote unquote ridiculed because he thinks that because he's married and having an affair with her. He thinks that like um, Camille Claudel is like ridiculing him through this work, like mocking their their affair which is actually really not the case and i think that isabel ajani's reaction to that moment and that scene was really nice i also like whenever um uh you know uh she's outside of his uh, estate um which by the way th- just to give perspective to anybody listening like this guy was rich as fuck and she was literally like trapped in a closet like working on sculptures like it was it was really well, fucked didn't up he build her like a getaway cottage too kind of thing was it that what it was? I, I think he built her like basically an affair house, like for them to go work together and no have an affair. No, I think that I mean, I mean maybe by by accident, but that I think that was where he was working, oh, okay. and I think that he needed her to come in to 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 help, and that's where he admits that she's a, a master. So clearly, he's threatened by her, and um, also to the guy that played Rodin, like good for him because playing that kind of gross role, like he played that skeezy, annoying guy like very very well. Oh, as well. I think Jared Depardieu comes across that role pretty easily, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guy, who the guy that got so drunk and just peed into an aisle on an airplane yeah i think he can play skeezy all right i did not know that wow <laughs> oh yeah i did not know that um i think that though you know isabella she delivered so many layers to this performance it was a complete performance and her slow descent into i would say a mental breakdown i wouldn't say madness because this guy was essentially gaslighting her and like canceling her and like um, making sure that anything that she ever did was like shut down before it could happen. Yeah. And um, even her own uh, gallerist said to her, you know, um, uh, people don't understand your genius and uh, they will one day. And clearly they do if they made a movie about this woman, but it's just really sad. Yeah. Well, and like I looked up some of the pieces and like, I feel like I've seen like the waltz before one of her most famous uh, sculptures of like the little uh copper like two figures like waltzing about and yeah like it's it's very it's sad and it's true because it's like well what really happens like no one really appreciated her whilst she was alive and it was years later that she had this renaissance um it was so funny when she like went to study under Rodin and like and like I just wrote down like oh like a young Colombian university woman student woman students woman study student about to fuck her professor this is not gonna end well yeah like like, there's one thing it's like don't don't hook up with your teachers like it's just like the number one rule with any kind of arts and studies yeah that is that is a sage advice um but uh, a lot of her work in was actually remember when she like destroyed all of it that actually did oh. happen. She did destroy a lot was of so her sad work. When, yeah. And like, I obviously it's fake, but I was like, Oh man, don't destroy it all. Like I was, it was, yeah, it was very crushing scene. I think um, everything about this movie uh, for me, I think that Isabella Johnny just was Camille Claudel and I really loved her in this movie, but um, yeah. Okay. I didn't, yeah. yeah, and just to say, like, I didn't, I don't always love period pieces, but like, I thought this was really well done, especially considering I didn't even understand half of it. Like, and I still enjoyed <laughs> you it. You should have so told much. me, I should have sent you a link. <laughs> yeah, well, I was like, yeah, I watched it, I took notes, I don't need to see it again. <laughs> uh, okay, so unless there's anything else that you would like to add, we can talk about our final nominee and winner. Yeah. So let's talk about Jessica Tandy for Driving Miss Daisy. Now, Driving Miss Daisy is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like white people solving racism. And that's kind of what I thought this movie was. Uh, It wasn't maybe a little bit, but it wasn't. Um, The story of Driving Miss Daisy won the Pulitzer Prize in 1998 for Best Play. And it is one of two Best Picture winners to be based off of a Pulitzer Prize winning play. The other is um, Can't Take It With You. Uh, from 1938. Um, The original cast for this movie was actually considered was Bette Midler and Eddie Murphy. Um, (laughs) 
yep don't i don't know about that uh this uh film is the only adaptation of an off-broadway production ever to win an oscar for best picture um and this movie was jessica tandy at the time whenever she won was the oldest recipient of an oscar uh she's still the oldest a recipient of Best Actress at 81, but I think Christopher Plummer, or I think it's actually Anthony Hopkins, Hopkins now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, who is the oldest uh, man to receive um, an acting accolade, but Which Jessica Tenney is still- he got from Thor Ragnarok, yep. <laughs> i love that movie um but uh okay so jessica tandy in the movie is this old um liberal jewess who is living in the south and she uh drives her car into her neighbor's yard and then dan Aykroyd, an oscar nominee for this movie in a supporting role decides Ugh, i think you need a chauffeur and hires um, uh, Morgan Freeman as the chauffeur who was nominated for a lead role for this movie. And the story is just about their friendship over the course of about 20 years. Yeah. Oh okay. So have you, uh, I've have never you seen this movie before. I have never seen this movie before. <laughs> Me as well. um, this, I think Jessica Tandy's performance and her win is a lot of the subtleties and the things that they don't say in the in the dialogue. It's more how they react to something or the, the way that the audience is supposed to interpret something, um, which there's a lot of subtleties in this movie and a lot of subtleties to the performance. And I want to consider that when going forward because... I generally tend to go for the obvious choice where it's like the big emotional, like a uh, crying scene and the big, cl- but that wasn't really the vibe of this movie. This movie was more of a, a human relationship story, growth and a very subtle performance from beginning to end. Yeah. Yeah. What did you, sad. what did you think? Um, I had never seen this movie and then like, that opening scene, it's just like, oh man, is this going to be like a slapstick movie almost? Like, right. Oh, I, I don't know how to drive a car. I miss Daisy. And then like Dan Aykroyd shows up and he's doing the worst accent in the history of time. And you're like, I have to listen to this Dan Aykroyd the whole time. And oh man, it... <laughs> I, I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> it was bad. And maybe it's just I don't like Dan Aykroyd. I don't know. But I was very I I did not love this movie, to be honest. Like okay, and I think it was maybe too subtle. Um mm-hmm. and I was just getting bored with it. Mm-hmm. Um but But I think that you do have to consider this type of story for the time yes yeah for the 80s and especially in the era that it's set to like i could mm-hmm. understand how it would be more, much more groundbreaking and like mm-hmm. um very interesting like an old jewish woman uh befriends a, a black man from the south that has never left uh atlanta or whatever like there there's a lot of rich storytelling and like rich yeah. character development uh, yeah. throughout um but it, there was just something about it that I was like, I think I had just built up too much in my head that like there was this big movie because I, I had just heard over time like, oh, Driving Miss Daisy. Like everyone knows the film Driving Miss Daisy, mm-hmm. even if you've never seen it. Everyone's heard of it. Yes, I completely agree. And I think that um, one thing that was something that they had to make absolutely clear and especially watching it through the lens of 2021 was that they had to make it so clear. And I, I'm I'm I'm. I understand why they did because they kind of had to was that they had to make it so clear that Miss Daisy was not racist. They had to say it like three or four times in the movie because from an outsider's perspective, that's kind of how it looks. And when you watch it, they had to make it clear that it wasn't. I'm glad that they didn't. And um, or or I'm I'm glad that they did. Sorry. I'm glad that they did make it clear because it, it does change the dynamic of the story. Um, I would say that about 26 minutes into the movie, her performance is a little one note. She's kind of just this difficult old woman. And then 50 minutes into the movie, she was being charmingly difficult. Yeah. And then <laughs> it kind of just got to be more and more. Like, I think that um, one of my favorite moments is whenever she's on her way to listen to Dr. King talk about, um, you know, <laughs> talk about race relations in the in and she America. Makes her driver wait in the outside because she asked them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she realizes and she, so it's those kinds of moments. And then you see, and then I think that her best performance, or at least where I thought that she really shined 
was when he comes to get her at the last 15 minutes of the movie and she's not dressed and she's going on about where are the kids homework because she used to be a teacher and it's like where are the kids homework where are the kids homework and he's like what are you talking about i mean obviously she's having like a i'm assuming it was like yeah like or like alzheimer's or something there was some kind of a moment that was happening and then um she goes and sees no and she says that um he was her best friend that was a really beautiful moment. That's yeah. a really nice, like, you know, if I was going to cry, I would cry at that scene. Um, there were there were pockets where she really shone. But for the most part, I did find that her performance, because it was reliant on the subtleties of the performance, it was a little one note for me. Yeah, I and yeah, I also wrote down, like, is she really saved all her good acting for like the last 15 minutes? Like, yes, and whether, whether that was her good acting or they wrote it that way. But like, it was basically, again, like they saved all of her great scenes for the, the last 15 minutes. And I feel like a lot of the movie was kind of carried by Morgan Freeman and Dan Aykroyd at the beginning. And that's fine. But Morgan Freeman too, also like it was almost like a pantomime character at times with Morgan Freeman. And it was, it was like, it, there was depth there, but it doesn't feel like it was written. Like there was depth almost. I don't know. I know what you're saying. I mean, she swept the award season. She won the Golden Globe. She won the Oscar. She won um, the BAFTA a year later, as I was saying before. Um, You know, so clearly this was a very critically acclaimed and very well-received film. But did they give her all those awards because she was about to die? Because that's my one question. (laughs) I I mean, I don't don't think so because she was 81. So she, you know, women live a lot longer. But uh not if you're Shirley Valentine then you're only (laughs) only one year left but yeah I I think my favorite scene was when she tells him that he's her best friend and um it I did kind of think to myself it reminded me of like Green Book but like in reverse you know what I mean a little bit and I think up to there's like the one part where I don't know if you remember like the like I feel like uh, it was kind of a, a tone shift in her as a character and the movie with the cans of salmon, like, uh-huh. and how Morgan Freeman ate a can of salmon, which is also an in- insane thing to just, oh, I took one of your cans of salmon and ate it like a cat, by the way. So I got you I a new one. <laughs> but she was so angry. She was like going to fire him. And she's, and like, that's where it seemed like she like if she if she had taken that hard stance, then she was racist because she was saying things like, "Oh, these people never sit; they'll never tell you the truth," and like these people right. that and like, but because of how it played out and how Morgan Freeman came in and he's like, "Oh, by the way, uh, I ate a can of salmon because I was hungry," and here you go, here's a new one, and then just like, "Oh, it's not addressed again," and then they're just like becoming buddies from that point on. Well, I mean, you certainly can't argue that there are so many issues of privilege in this movie. Like, of oh, yeah. course, you know, and it is definitely um, one of those kinds of movies where it's like, well, it's fine because it was set in the 50s. You just kind of have to accept it because that's just the way that it was, you know. And um, I think that this movie was also PG. I think I read somewhere I don't like don't quote me on this, but I read somewhere that this was one of the last movies that was rated PG that won Best Picture. Um I just have to. You're saying there's a a rated R version where they hook up. (laughs) I'd I'd like to watch that. I'll watch that movie. But um, no, I definitely uh, that would be riding Miss Daisy. No, (laughs) I um, I'm gonna say though that I kind of have to agree with you. I've heard so much about this film, and I guess watching it, I do think that this film is a product of its time. And I think it was one of those you kind of, it's like the movie um, American Graffiti by George Lucas. It's kind of like you really had to like understand the nostalgia of the time by like maybe kind of being part of that growing up a little bit. Because I don't get it, but it's like so beloved. And a lot of people love this movie. Frankly, I don't really know if I would watch this again. Oh God, no. I would not recommend, like of, of all these films, uh, 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 in comparison, the fabulous Baker Boys and Driving Miss Daisy, I think, were like the least interesting to watch, really. And like, uh-huh. they really brought the the lowest stakes and like, d- yeah. Um, I don't know it. I and I don't want to body shame, but Dan Aykroyd has a huge jumper. Dumper. <laughs> I, know, I know exactly the scene that, that you're yeah, talking yeah. about. You're like, man, exactly. that ass is not quitting. What's going on with Dan Aykroyd? 
I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, oh, damn. I was like, what a badunkadunk. Oh, my God. Oh, and also uh, Jessica Tanny's hair is was so annoying to me the whole time. Like, I don't know why, but like in like her, if you just looked at the top of her head, she looked like a young John Malkovich or something. Like, I could not get over like the choice of like of how to make her hair. And it was driving me insane. Well, I am also a lady with a very high forehead, so I sympathize. <laughs> Um, okay, so I think that the time has arrived for us to pick who we think that the Oscars should have gone to. You are my guest, so I will give you the honor of going first. Okay. I think the award for Best Actress should have gone to... <laughs> Jessica Lang for love Music it. Box. Why? Uh, just because I... F- it was honestly the one film that I took the least amount of notes for. And I think it was because I was so wrapped up in the actual acting and story. And for me, like for me, I like, I look at writing and I, I look at the story like as part with best actor, actress and stuff. And like, I think she delivered the most for that role and that story, like something like fabulous Baker boys. I felt like there really wasn't enough screen time to really deserve Michelle Pfeiffer above everyone else. And like uh, Shirley Valentine, maybe if I was a a 42 year old woman from Manchester, I might think that she she was the best actress or something, but like, I don't Mm -hmm. like, and, and I, I do think Isabel and Jeannie and like was a very close kind of second, but like, Uh I just felt like Jessica Lange was just for me, the far away best uh, actress of all these five films. I love it. Okay, well, I will go ahead and say who I think should have won. So I think that the Oscar should have gone to... Isabella Johnny for Camille Claudel. I loved her in this movie. I loved her journey from start to finish. I love finding out that it was based on a true story. I didn't realize that. I don't like watching trailers, so that was kind of an interesting sort of ending. I thought that she brought so many layers to this performance. You saw so many angles of Camille, and you saw, like, her slow descent into a mental breakdown. And I'm going to say that because if everybody said that she actually wasn't crazy, I do believe that uh, she probably wasn't. I think that people had no idea what to do with her because she was a genius. And I think that most people that are gifted are very odd people, but it's because uh, we're not as smart as them. So maybe we just don't understand them and maybe we don't understand they're crazy. Um, And by the way, everybody has their own version of crazy. And I think that genius people have their own version of crazy. Um, I do think think that's that's an important point, though. Like, I don't think that she was in quote unquote insane. I think she had a mental breakdown because of everything that happened in her life. Yeah. And that guy, uh, Rodin, whatever, basically like gaslit the fuck out of her and brought her there and and, and just uh, made sure that um, her life was miserable. So fuck him. Yeah. And um, I think that. Just seeing her when they have that, like um, when the ga- when she has her final her, her her first show and she has all of her work and then she's there and she's dressed all crazy and her makeup is all oh, crazy. She's dressed she's- like who? Helen Bottom Carter all of a sudden? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and she's insane and she's laughing and everybody's like, oh, God, what is with this woman? I, I just love seeing that transformation from where she started and then where she ended up. And then at the end, when you see her like her hands against the glass and she's being pulled away, like it's terrifying. And I just loved her from start to finish. And I, I really believe that um, I, th- I think that the Oscar should have gone to Isabel Adjani. Okay. Well, oh, also, I think that my second would have been um, Jessica Lange in Music Box for sure. That was, it was a close second. Yeah. I think those, out of all these five films, those were like, I think, far and away one and two. And like, not what I expected going into it. Cause, uh, yeah, again, Driving Miss Daisy, so much hype. Agreed. And it should have been like, don't, don't bother Driving Miss Daisy, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh okay well um greg houston thank you so much for being on this podcast anybody listening can find him at greg houston comedy on social media um he does do a twitch show on fridays that he's going to be taking a a hiatus on the summer uh during the summer of uh uh, 2021 but he'll be back in the fall and i'll um i'll be doing probably random pop-ups on my twitch channel anyway uh probably be doing some interviews and stuff with local comedians uh as lockdown applies and such 
Wonderful. Okay, well, great. Thank you so much for being a guest, and we'll definitely have to have you back. Thanks so much. Okay, bye. Bye.